All right, gentlemen. Watch out for when that rush hour traffic. Those old people that have lost their pay. <laughs> Hello, race fans, and welcome to another episode of Mark Mamba and the Mayor. I'm Mamba Smith, and on this episode, we'll look back at Tyler Reddick's big win in Road America. We're running out of playoff spots with so many winners. What happens if we have more than 16 when the playoffs start? And what a weekend in Road America. Should the Cup Series stay there or not? Buckle up. For Mark Mamba and the Mayor. Welcome back to Mark Mamba and the Mayor podcast. Gentlemen, let's get into it. First off, did you guys have a good holiday weekend? That's really, I mean, it was, it was one of my favorite holidays. Mine was great. We had uh, family over and a cookout, and we were able to hang out outside and barbecue, and it was a, just a Fantastic day. I'm with you, Mom. It's one of my favorite holidays and you know what it means. And it's just really important to our country. And where I live, it sounds like from about five o'clock till about 11 o'clock, I think it's like just one constant firework sound. Like it's crazy <laughs> how many people are shooting stuff off and you can see it going everywhere. It's it's fun. It kind of throws me off. We're not in Daytona Saturday. Like it really, I don't know if it does that for you guys. It throws me off that we're not in Daytona Saturday. And then you got Sunday to do, you know, all that other stuff. It, I, it messes with me every time. It was a strange weekend for sure, but from an old habits die hard standpoint. Right? But man, uh, there was a lot of racing on Sunday. It was fun. So let's talk about it. Our boy. I know you guys love Tyler Reddick. I love Tyler Reddick on backseat drivers. I told everyone I was going to stop picking him to win races because I felt like I was jinxing him. <laughs> And it worked out perfect. And now Tyler Reddick is a cup winner. You can see the weight. You can literally see the weight come off of his shoulders when he won that race. Yeah, I can I can relate. Uh, I, I kind of know uh, how that weight coming off the shoulders feels. I'm a huge fan of Tyler Reddick. And it really felt like that when he went to RCR and managed to pull off uh, another um, Xfinity championship, and then, you know, moved him to Cup that he could be uh, sort of the catalyst to turn that organization back into championship contending, you know, form. And that's not easy to do. But I felt like that he's the key catalyst to that. And it's really cool to see. It's cool, cool to see uh, RCR back in, in victory lane. That means so much to me. I knew Richard when he was still driving. And so um, I've seen them go all the way through that, through their glory years. Maybe this is the beginning of another glory era for RCR. Jeff, you've talked about it a couple of times, how it takes a while for these guys to win races. And you, you, I feel like you and Latar both talk about around that 190 race, somewhere in between there. Well, it took Tyler Reddick 92 starts, and he's a back-to-back -back Xfinity champion. So it's not like he doesn't know how to get it done. Yeah, look, it just I don't. It, it's hard. And when you start comparing yourself against the best on every single weekend, and on top of that, there's more of them out there, it becomes really hard to win a race. I mean, I'm not saying Xfinity or trucks are, hard, are easy because they're not. They're really hard. But you take the talent pool and you multiply it by three, but not just with drivers, but with equipment as well. 
And then you lengthen the race and all of a sudden everything just got way harder. And that's no disrespect to any other series, but this is the best. And it, and it's crazy hard to win. You know, I watched Tyler Reddick race a lot and his first Xfinity championship, I'm going to tell you, I was pretty convinced that he would find a way to mess that up throughout the race because his his comfort level with being uncomfortable is unnormal. He was doing it at Homestead and I'm like, eventually you're going to hit the wall hard enough to end it. And we get to like 10 to go and I'm like, damn, he's going to do it. And it's just been a continuation from that. And his maturity level has gone off the charts in regard to finding a way to push the limit, but still get it finished at the end of the day. And that's hard to do. There's a lot of fast race car drivers. There's not as many that can go fast and operate on that ragged edge for 500, 400 miles. That gets, you start to limit the number of people that can do that. And he is a, he can do it. And he's only going to get better. He is a future superstar. And I'm not exaggerating. He is a future superstar in this sport. And it's going to be, he is going to be a an extremely highly valuable commodity. And he is going to name his price in the future because it'll be hard for Richard to keep him because everybody's going to be going for him. And uh, he is going to be an extremely valuable guy because of what he's able to do on the racetrack. He flat out goes fast and can manage. Now he can manage it. Get ready. I mean, he's going to be the guy that everybody's shooting for. I couldn't agree more. I think I was talking on the show earlier this week. It was like, do you think he'll make a deep run? And I'm like, I hope he gets to eight. Because if he gets to round eight, he's a disruptor. He is going to disrupt the rest of the field. You talk about winning and how hard it is. There is there was 27 winners in the cup field this weekend when he won. And he was going up against Chase Elliott on a road course. And I felt like the call to bring him down pit road and the teams to go mano y mano one-on-one, that was one of the coolest things I've seen in racing a while because we don't see that very often in our forms of racing. Have you guys ever had that? in a win or when you were battling for it, you literally on the same strategy, bumper to bumper with somebody coming down for a road like that. Well, sure. I mean, you know, that's, uh, that's part of racing. Sometimes you, you just go toe to toe and other times you try to do it with strategy. You know, you don't always have that opportunity to do it with strategy. If you, if you can with strategy, you can make your job easier, but uh, sometimes you just got to go toe to toe. And Tyler had to go toe to toe with the best thing road rusher in the sport today in NASCAR today, he went toe to toe and pulled it off. And, you know, he had to have a heck of a race car to do it, but we were, the benefactors of seeing the show. What an incredible show. Guys like Tyler, Ross Chastain, and guys like that are just really giving us a treat right now uh, to get to see them do things with race cars that most race car drivers can't do. Jeff, Randall had, had the balls to bring him down and go and look over down to the other pit box. All right, boys, here we go. So Chase comes ripping out of his box. And that allowed him to stay in front, but it was almost a detriment because Tyler really set the pace from behind him. And it just seemed like Chase kind of had to use up his stuff probably before then his tires were ready to go. What did, what did you see from the from the booth on that? Well, it looked like to me that Chase's car did not take off as well. It looked like he was free and, and the back of the car didn't have the grip that he had had earlier in the race. At the same token, that was the first time that he was in a position on new tires, no heat in them. It was completely different on a restart versus a green flag launch. I, I don't know the engineering behind it, but the cars don't drive the same. When you leave 
on a green flag pit stop versus a restart, you can have two different cars. And that was the first time that Chase had been in that position where he had to go defend because he had dominated the race. He had to go defend that spot on a green flag launch. And it was clear to me that he had his hands pretty quickly. He was going to have his hands full. Tyler Reddick was like a bulldog back there. And he was just pushing and pushing and pushing. And ultimately, he pushed hard enough to force Chase into a mistake. That's what's awesome about racing. It's easy for Chase. And Chase is always going to put it on his shoulder. It's just his personality. You know, before the race, we had him on our on the USA pre-race show. And I said, man, you have the all modern era drivers. You have the best average finish on road course, period. And he's like, yeah, but I got less starts. And, and I'm like, man, like, you know, that's just Chase. And he will say that I made a mistake and that's why Reddick won. Yes, he made a mistake because Reddick made him make a mistake. Reddick had a faster car. Right. And Reddick was able to push and had Chase not tried to answer that, Reddick would have passed him. Chase was having to answer with his car what Reddick was able to do to his car. And without that response from Chase, then Reddick passes him anyway. So, yeah, he forced, that's racing. That's what's awesome about racing is when Mark and I were going against somebody and you saw a weakness, that's what you go do. You go exploit that weakness and you make that driver put himself in a position that he's overstressing his car, but he has no choice if he's going to compete with you. That's what racing is all about. I didn't view it as a mistake by Chase. I viewed it as Chase having to push his car past a limit that it was able to go in an effort to keep him behind him. I agree. Uh, Mark, kind of expand on that, like being, being in Tyler's spot or Chase's spot, because Tyler, if he does that, he's going to end up burning his stuff up too, right? So kind of how do you gauge that you know if i'm tyler i'm not going to be too too worried about burning my stuff up i'm worried about winning a race winning my first race and winning a race period because it doesn't matter if it's your 40th or your first you want it just the same he had nothing to lose and everything to gain by going as hard as he could go and um i mean there there comes a point where you just intentionally abuse your stuff that's not something that a great race car really ever does but he could he was in a spot where he could go. He could go as hard as he could go and had, you know, nothing to lose. Chase was in a tough situation because he had been comfortable uh, most of the race in, when he was out front. He'd been very comfortable and the heat was on now. Tyler was just able to put the heat on him, keep it on him. And I agree with Jeff. Chase is really big about taking on responsibility for some of the things that aren't really his fault. And, and that's, that's good of him. Because he's he's not always you know pushing the blame off somewhere else, but it wasn't a mistake by Chase. It was a it was a situation where he was having to get more out of his car than his car could give him, and had he not made that mistake, he would have been in the comfort zone at a point where Tyler would have been able to pass him. So it was just uh, great racing. That's what we love to see. Uh, is it you know come down for a win between you know two guys that are just really putting it all out there on the line. Hey, Mamba, I got, I, I, real quick, I, I marked my hero and a legend, and I'm, I've always wondered this. And I don't think I've ever asked him. He just said something about saving tires. We hear drivers talk a lot about, you know, I took it easy on my tires early or whatever. Mark, is it the car or the driver that saves tires? Well, it's both, Jeff. You know, a, a good working <laughs> car, you don't have to drive it as hard. So you save tires. Um, if your car has a tendency to, let's say, go off loose and you come out on new tires and you know that you've got 15 laps or whatever it is to go 15 four mile laps not half mile laps 
uh, you know, you, you do still have to manage that. You've got to look at how far you have to go and how hard you can run early to be able to have something left at the end. I, I just felt like that in this particular situation, Tyler didn't have to do that. He was able to say, if I want to win, I got to beat that guy. And now's the time to go and let me let her rip. Because first thing he had to do is get in front. If he used his stuff up, but he got in front, he's already going to have an advantage. And so you've got to, you know, you've got to use everything that you, every trick in the book. And one of the biggest tricks was getting in front, because if he did that, he would, he would have a huge advantage. So the driver does save tires, and he's probably in, in a huge control of that. But the car and how the car works also makes that job easy or incredibly difficult to impossible. Sometimes it's impossible to save tires on a car that's just going to inherently use one or, one or the other up front or back he definitely they definitely let the dog off the off the porch on that one he went and chased it went and got it It was it was pretty awesome to watch but that is our fifth if i'm not mistaken first time winner this year that is impressive uh from the standpoint of the talent and the teams how many good teams there are with young talent um but is it the car like is it and it's also a lot of road courses which is interesting to me as well what are you guys' takes on that on how many new winners obviously we're in a transitional period but it's still the cream usually rises to the top pretty early well i think this car's made a difference um you know it it is not only has it sort of drawn the the mid pack cars closer to the front pack cars because of you know, the top teams are not getting everything that they're going to get. It, the, the gap is going to widen as we go forward, mm. but it's still right. narrower than we're ever used to seeing right now because the car is so different and there's so much, so many limitations. So that's a big part of it. Also, you just can't discount the fact that racing is cyclical and things change. And sometimes you have guys like 1998 when Jeff Gordon won 13 and we won seven out of 32 races, you know, that's 20. There was only 12 other winners in the whole season. You know, you will have that and you'll have it again someday, but you're not going to have that every year. And so they're, they're, I think those two are the biggest influencers on, on that uh, factor. Jeff, I think it's it's pretty interesting because Cindric won uh, the Daytona 500, obviously. So Super Speedway, Briscoe won at Phoenix, which is, we call it a short track. It's like a weird, it's a different type of beast of a racetrack, I feel like. Chastain at Coda, Suarez at Sonoma, and now Reddick at, at Road America. So it's kind of all over the board a little bit. Well, and I listen, Cindric being the outlier, uh, if you look at, the number of races that these guys have run and the speed that they've been able to have, no one's ever do because you have to earn them. Right. But Mm -hmm. you know, they, it is a group of young drivers that has some seat time and that's real important. Cedric being the outlier, but of course the Daytona 500 is an outlier. Uh, We, you know, we see a lot of surprise winners in the Daytona 500. Um, I just don't think you can discount the amount of experience that you think about the heartaches and headaches that Reddick, Suarez, and Chastain went through, right? And then even go down to Briscoe. Briscoe's rookie year was horrific. I mean, it was it wasn't bad. very good. Uh, but he was in position to win the road course at Indy. 
he and he and Tony he and uh, uh, Hamlin had that that deal in turn one. He was he did mm-hmm. run well on the road courses, uh, which is a really interesting story because the person that made him a better road course racer is somebody he's racing against in Austin Cindric. He's the guy that they were teammates with Ford, and Austin made him a road racer that he is. And now Austin has to deal with him. So Austin probably don't want to help anybody else. Um, if he does, he's crazy. <laughs> but those guys were in positions, in situations that they had been in before. And I think that matters because there's very few Tony Stewart's. There's very few uh, Davey Allison's that come in and immediately have an impact in their rookie year. There's very few of those guys. And these guys weren't that. They had to get the experience and they had to experience, you know, be in those situations and now you put them in a car that's more similar on tracks that they're familiar with and comfortable with, and they're ready to go. And I, I just don't think you can discount, even though they're young, the experiences that they've had. We got 13 now different cup winners, which sitting across the table of the tart, he's like, there's no way we're getting to 16 or 17. There's no way. And I'm like, I was with you, bud, but we're, we still got, uh, we got about aces to go here. So there's plenty of time. But some guys that haven't won, like Ryan Blaney, Martin Truex Jr., Kevin Harvick, guys that you expect to win. And, and they've had moments where a flash is a brilliance, but they haven't been great all year. But like, it's coming for them. I, I would be I would be over the moon if we get to that number. Just to see the chaos that ensues because there's so many one-win teams that that if you get to two, that really changes the whole deal. Or someone like Ryan Blaney, guys, if he wins the championship without a win, he's automatically right. in to the That's playoffs. Right. You want to talk about chaos. You can make the playoffs and not win a race and bump somebody out that did win a race because the regular season champion gets in no matter what. That could happen. That's He's not that far back. I, listen, I have, I've said early, there's no way we'll get that many winners. And I'm having to backtrack a touch. I mean, there's eight races left. Here's the question I got. Like, I hear what you're saying about Harvick, but I don't see the speed with that team. Like, they're going to have to pull some magic. They're going to have to have some things go their way. They're running well, but does that good enough? I think Christopher Bell will tell you he thinks he's the fastest Gibbs car, but their pit crew is not good enough. They got to have the right pit crew on the right day to match the right speed. Like everything's got to line up. And we're going to have some big names that don't make these playoffs. There's no question. We're going to have some big names that don't make these playoffs. And Mark Martin will tell you when you got to put, when when you have a playoff system and you're not in it, it's a damn failure. I don't care what anybody says. They ain't going to talk about you. They ain't going to care about you. It's like you're going to the event and you're not even in the damn race. It is not yeah. a good thing. It is not a good thing. That's right. And, and you better look out because if you go into next season and you run about a third of the season and you don't rebound, your career, you're a really, really challenging position in your career because you won't last long not at the top of the heap if you can't get it back pretty soon this place is tough it will it will forget about you and shuffle you off to the side before you know it i don't know you know i I think as far as what will happen if there you know are 16 or 17 winners I, i don't know i'm sure jeff knows i'm sure nascar has a plan for that i don't know what it is or what it would be all i know is that all they ever said in the beginning was win and you're in. So it would be hard to wrap your head around you won and he didn't get in. So I don't know, but I'm not, I'm not advocating for anything. You know, I'm, I'm totally ignorant in, the, in, in from that side of it. Other than, you know, we heard an awful lot about win and you're in points 
still matter. That is that when and you're in is misrepresentative. It shows the intensity and how important winning is. But at the end of the day, if you get if you get 17 winners and you go back to points, and even to the point, you know, because you're only going to have 16, you ain't having 17 unless they decide to put Jeff Gordon in at the last minute because they thought he could have gotten in at Richmond. Unless they do that again, they're not going to have 17. <laughs> so this is the deal. When the minute they announced this point thing, it became very obvious to me and a group of people that you are point racing now perhaps harder than ever. Because if you don't win, and there's no guarantee you're going to win a damn race, if you don't win, the only way you get in is points. And if you don't win to get in with points, you got to get in against a few other people that are really good that didn't get in on points. And they're going to be racing points too. So either way, you're going to have an incredible point battle to determine the last spots. If no new winners happen, you've got that going on right now. And yep. every, it's why Blaney and those guys were running 15th. They stayed out to win a stage, get those 10 points, and gave up 10, 12 spots to do it on a track that was hard to pass on because they saw points right there that they could get right now. They might not get them later. And that shows you how important points are. And it's, it's going to come down to points, whether we get new winners or not, it is going to come down to a hell of a point battle. And I love, I love what you just said there, because I think a lot of our fans don't haven't thought about it like that. Like, you know, the points, they really, really matter. Everyone's like, Oh, go back to those. Now this system's fantastic. There's there's multiple ways to get it done, and you know you talk about Blaney. He's having a statistically great year from a point standpoint. If he wins the regular season, and that we just said, I'll say it again, he is in. And there's only 15 guys. We're doing this off of 26 races, not 36. Everybody, like, because you know, 10 races are for the for the playoffs. So it, everything is getting tighter. Uh, though, uh, just to put some, some more context to it, the, the bottom four, bottom three drivers, excuse me, uh, with a win, Kurt Busch, Chase Briscoe, Daniel Suarez, separated by four points. So if you think that one one doesn't matter, then it's it's crazy. One win matters. Two wins matters a lot. So what is Hamlin? Our buddy Kim Martin just helped us out. Danny has two wins, so he's he's pretty pretty yep. safe right there. Um, looking to the future, as we just were, Road America, the fans in Wisconsin really showed out. The Midwest, they really represented that that upper Midwest area very well. Um, I remember as a kid watching Milwaukee Mile, I felt like that was always one of my favorite racetracks. We got it. I don't know, man. It looks like it might come off the schedule, but we got to keep going back and giving Wisconsin that love because there's a lot of race fans there that show out weekly it's incredible and most people don't know this i know this because i went to wisconsin because you could race twice a week where i came from you could race five nights a week up there uh or even twice on sunday if you wanted you could run this uh sunday afternoon special and then go run down to swinger and run sunday night are you kidding no me? you and lots of yeah you rush for twice on sunday and have a big special you know, Saturday after uh, Sunday afternoon, and you go down there, run, oh, run down yeah. there, and run a regular show on on Sunday night, and that's what you did. Now the fans supported that, and that was all over yeah. the state. I mean, you were, you know, you were Wausau and up at uh, Kakana, up by Green Bay. You know, you, you were all, you know, Madison. You were just everywhere, lacrosse. You know, every night, every racetrack had a night, you know, uh, swing around on Tuesday night, you know, uh, you know, this racetrack around Wednesday night. 
It supports that. The racing fans are rabid there. I think it's fantastic that we have cup racing there. And I understand why the support is there. And I would see the support continue to grow there if they have continue to have cup racing. But Wisconsin was and still is. You can still go up there in the summer and race, you know, just all the time, just a ton. And those are the greatest race fans in the world. And that's where I learned to race. I mean, when I started racing on on asphalt uh, in my second season, I headed up there in the summertime and would run, you know, all this. But they usually have a big special on Tuesday night and they'd have a big special on Sunday. And then you'd run the other just weekly shows. And, you know, you wouldn't you would learn to not tear your car up for a, you know, a, a 400 to win, 500 to win feature race, you know, because you were going to race again tomorrow night. And so you raced hard, just as hard as they race for a cup win, but you had to race smart to be able to be there for the next night. So that's, that's where, that's where, you know, that developed my racing personality. Mama, you know, you know a lot about what, what Harrison and I did racing late models and, you know, yes, we sir. brought Chris Wimmer down from from the Wis, you know, from Wisconsin, and I got to know a lot of his buddies, and his friends would come and help us on race weekends. Let me tell you something: there are some hardcore racers from the Midwest. I mean, hardcore racers and hardcore race fans. And we, as a sport, should reward the fans that support the sport with races. It's such a difficult thing as you try to go to more places and expose the sport to more people. You don't do that without leaving somewhere. Right. And that's are really difficult decisions that have to be made way above our pay grade with the true understanding of we're always going to give something up to go gain something. And what is it that's an acceptable give to get? And what do you have to get to overweigh, outweigh that loss? And I think it's important, too, to understand that with the way that NASCAR is looking at schedules today, it's completely different than it was in the past. Meaning, when North Wilkesboro lost their race, they weren't coming back because they got replaced by a track that was a permanent fixture. NASCAR has shown the willingness to go to racetracks that either they or SMI don't own. That opens the door to go to more places. The negative of that, it creates an opportunity to leave places, but it's still there. So you can still go back. Yep. And I think part of part of our schedule should be unpredictable. Part of our schedule should be movable. Part of our schedule should provide flexibility for the sign of the times. We made major mistakes in assuming what racing was going to be 10 years from now and building racetracks and types of racetracks. And then we chase rules to make the, I mean, it's very complicated, but the ability to move around the country we have today because of NASCAR's willingness. So even if something happened and you don't, you decide, hey, we're not going back to Coda next year. Or we're not going back to, to LA, which I know we are, but right. you can still go back. You're not completely cutting the cord and tearing the racetrack down. And it's very difficult decisions. And I hope they make the right ones. They're difficult to make. And we have, but we should always try to reward the race fans that are supporting this sport. Yeah, I, I think it, if you show up and show out when when NASCAR shows up, that your reward should be more NASCAR. <laughs> at least, 
having your date in some way, shape, or form. I, I will say this, and I, I'd to love to hear y'all's from. take on this because I don't, I don't, I don't have the answer. But where does the quality of racing fall into that? I'm not suggesting it's bad racing and good racing. I'm not suggesting either one. I'm just saying at what right. point, when one point is the in the equation. Okay, here's the kind of races we get. I, I don't know the answer to that. It's it is something that has to be considered. Mark, what do you think well, about that? Well, Jeff's right, and it, it, obviously the economics, you know, have to play into that, you know, strongly as well. Uh, we wish it was just how good a race that uh, that that the venue typically puts on, but uh, you know, the economics have to be a big part of that as well, and that's that's why it is above our pay grade. We're selfish. Race racers, when you race, or you're selfish. Uh, as race fans, we're selfish. You know, I'm 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 selfish. You know, today in a very different way than I was when I was a driver. Uh, I did not like going to Daytona and Talladega uh, as a driver. And man, I'm charged up to see those races today. <laughs> and, I, nope, and nobody complained more. I'm roused about having to go to Talladega than I did. And somebody reminds me I won <laughs> twice there. And I was like, I still don't care. You know, I hated that, you know, but it's fun as heck to watch. To your point, Jeff, I don't know, like how economics matters, where it is, like logistically that matters. And, and there's so many different things. And that's why. I think it's funny when, you know, there's so many people that are like, Oh, you should do this and it'll fix this and this. Like, Okay, it might fix those two things, but also might devastate five other things that are more important than that. I, I think, you know, understanding that is why it's above our pay grade, because I don't know Very how that works. I will say this, the industry, meaning NASCAR, the, the drivers, the owners, the sponsors, TV, you know, they want the same thing the fans want. They want good racing. They want... Tons of people, they want the places sold out. They want tons of people watching on TV. They all, we all want the same thing. It's not, what what does bother me sometimes is when NASCAR or a racetrack, and by the way, every decision made is not a NASCAR decision. They get the credit or the blame for every one. Sometimes it wasn't their decision, but it always seems to be theirs. But, you know, when a decision is made and it isn't, it's against what someone wants to do, the first thing people say is, well, they don't care about the fans. The decision was made because of the fans. It might not have been your what you wanted as a fan. And Mark just said it. We're all selfish in what we want. But NASCAR or television or a racetrack or a sponsor or a car, nobody said, hey, let's piss the fans off. Like, let's do something that fans are going to hate. Like, no one does that. Like, decisions, not all, I'm not saying all decisions are made that are right. But when decisions are made, they're made because of the interest of the fans. I mean, that's why they make these decisions. And 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 we get ourselves in tribes where we're like, we're this kind of fan. If they don't do this, then they hate us. No, they're trying to do the best they can to get it to as many people and make it fun for as many people as possible. And they're very difficult decisions. And by the way, risk takers win and risk takers lose. You got to be willing to take some risk. And LA was a hell of a risk. That was a hell of a risk. And it worked. You know what I mean? The damn dirt race was a hell of a risk. It worked. You know, it's been a lot of risk taken that have worked, but there's been some that didn't. And, but that's going to happen if you're willing to try things. You can sit at home and do nothing. You won't ever make a mistake. 
you can get out and go do some stuff and you're going to screw some things up. We're, we're talking about risk taking and changing it up before before we wrap here. How about Atlanta? We got a new we got to reconfigure. You guys uh, have obviously not been on race on this configure. You did the old ones. Uh, what do you think? What are we looking forward to seeing? Um, I thought the the first time it, it made it a special event. I was hoping um, that, you know, maybe we tried the other package just because we could. We're not. We're going back. I'm excited to see it nonetheless. So what are you guys' takes? Oh, you know, here's where I'm probably going to get, you know, in trouble. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to flat out tell you, they didn't ask me. Uh, and if they'd asked me, I would have told them, uh, don't dare make corners narrower. I don't know how in the heck that's going to make going four wide easier or more fun. It's probably going to happen less. Please don't give us pack racing. I already told you, I love watching Daytona and Talladega. I accept those two races for what they are, but they are a different skill set, completely backwards to what you normally do. Uh, not only is the driving skill set different, and so so is the car skill set, you know, for the, for the crew and the team as far as what they do to the cars for that. And it's just, you know, it's like having a clogged drain at your kitchen drain. You know, the guys in the back can't go anywhere. The guys in the middle can't go anywhere. And the guys in the front can't clear each other. So we just run into each other. Now, that being said, I would never have done that to the racetrack. But I knew that, and we all knew that if you repaved it, it was going, it sold, the cars have evolved to the point where it was going to be probably pack racing. Um, and so with that being said, I'm going to be watching. I'm going to be the first one up on the edge of my seat when they throw the green flag Sunday. I can't wait. I love that we've had great racing this year everywhere we go. And the first race there was 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 a good race. And this race is going to be a good race. I just really don't want to see six of those things. I want to see four. Bring us home, yeah, Jeff. Listen, I, you know, I, I hope Atlanta deteriorates to the point where, you know, you're going to have to come out of the throttle and the, you're going to lose grip. And I think that will happen over time. I mean, it, it happens at every racetrack uh, until that happens. Uh, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be chaos. I will say the problem Atlanta Motor Speedway had, and Mark just summed it up better than I could have, they had to pave it. It was literally coming apart. We literally had a red flag because the racetrack was coming apart. If it rained, the day before the race, like you weren't having the race. There were so many bleeders, like water coming out from one of these racetracks. They had to pave it. I would have preferred a normal mile and a half, but I just talked about risk takers. You know, Bruden Smith, we just lost him. He was an innovator. He was a guy that made Mark's life better, my life better, because the chances and risk he was willing to take his son Marcus is the same way. And he said, you know what? We're gonna, we are gonna do something different. We're gonna give our fans something different. And here's what I'm gonna say. There were more people at Atlanta in the spring than I've seen in forever. The Atlanta race fans were not coming out and supporting the race. They weren't coming. And there were sparse crowds. I mean, sparse crowds. And it was a hell of a crowd there in the spring. And I understand they've got nice ticket sales for this one as well. And it's going to be more challenging because it's going to be so damn hot, but we got to give the race fans good racing and we got to give the drivers a chance to show their skills. And we got, there's a lot of give and take here. Uh, it will be a time and a day where Atlanta deteriorates to the point where you're going to have to be a normal mile and a half 
but that's no time soon. And in the meantime, we're going to see complete chaos. The one thing we didn't see in the spring, and I don't know how it's going to work, how in the hell are you going to have a green flag pit stop? I mean, think about that. We can't have green flag pit stops at Talladega and Daytona without people wrecking. There is not a fourth lane. And when you put 12 cars trying to pit at Atlanta at the same time with the cars all around them that Mark just described, where in the hell are they going to go? Like, it's going to be an issue. I promise you, if we have a green flag stop, it's going to be an issue. And uh, it's going to be fascinating watching them work it out. And on top of that, how do you track position is going to be king. You're going to have to, as soon as they drop that green flag, you're going to have to have a track position mentality on pit road, on restarts, all that. You, If you get out front, you might not ever give it up. Either do that or ride in the back. Do one of the two, but don't do something in between. Hey, I'd like, I'd like to say something about, about the Smith family too. Uh, you know, yes, in 1981, the first time, that I saw late eyes on Charlotte Motor Speedway, I was in awe. I couldn't believe how nice it was. And I, you know, I've been around the sport pretty much ever since. And the thing that Bruton did uh, in, in, in those years was he put so much money back into those speedways and, and, and made show palaces out of them and show places and really made it uh, special, made it a special event for, for, for fans to be able to go to. And that really, he, he did so much in those years, um, you know, to, to enhance the fan experience. And you've got to give them credit for that. Now I've seen, you know, a lot of other racetracks catch up or try to catch up in, in, in the later years. But for the longest time, he was the one out there that was the pioneer of these beautiful, magnificent racetracks. And, and, um, and, and Marcus has come right along and done the same kind of thing. And don't, don't forget what Marcus has got going on the back burner now or on the side burner, let's say, with North Wilkesboro. I'm going to tell you something. What's going to happen there in August is going to be the coolest thing that some of these asphalt guys have ever done is get a chance to race on a historical racetrack that goes all the way back to the 50s. And then on top of that, in, uh, in, in October, these guys are going to get to race on the original dirt that was there. And, and then there's more excitement after that. What, what happens to the Speedway? You know, in 2023, the renovations in the in the in the rebuild, and and where does that all go? So we're going to get to see that for a long time, a long time to come. So I, you know, I just want to want to say that they that the Smith family has done more for for NASCAR racing than any any family or any individual I can think of, other than the France family. And, and keep, keep in mind, too, what Marcus and his team are doing in Nashville Fairgrounds. They're, they're not sitting still. They're out trying, and again, to give the fans what they want. They're saying, I want short track racing. Don't change history and forget that the reason they built mile and a half is because that's what the fans wanted at that time. The fans were clamoring for more mile and a half and big racetracks. That's what they wanted. They'll, we all forget that. That's what the fans were saying. Build more of that. That's awesome. 
And that's what they went and built. And now they're doing the same and in investing in short tracks because the fans are saying we want short tracks. And Marcus did the roval. I mean, what the hell? Who does that? You know what I mean? Because the fans are saying, hey, man, give me something different. Fans weren't supporting the 500 like they were the 600. Give us something different. He did it. He brought energy and life back into that race. That's risk-taking, man. That's that's what you do. And that family's been willing to do it. And they deserve a tremendous amount of credit. There's no doubt that the Bruton and his family have left their mark from the time they got here well into the future. And uh, we here at Mark Mamba and the mayor, we appreciate their contribution and the legacy that they uh, that Bruton has left. So thank you guys for listening to another episode, Mark Mamba and the Mayor Podcast.